introduce our speaker here this morning. <laughs> she gave me the microphone. I don't know what she was thinking. I'm trying to like, what a, what a story I should tell. <laughs> should tell them. You guys laugh at her, and it's so nice because her family does not always laugh at her. She's not the world's most talented joke teller. So I think you guys like feed this part in her soul that needs to be laughed at and appreciated. <laughs> but she does get funnier when this is in her hand, so I, I, I laugh at her too, with her, I mean. Um, so I'd like to introduce to you my mother, Karen Waldhart. She is amazing. Obviously, she has put so many seeds of truth in my life. I can say I've walked an easier road because of her. I have walked an easier life as a woman, as a mother, as a teenager, because she put truth inside of me so early. And so I didn't have to do all the mistakes. I was able to learn and grow and stand earlier because of her. So welcome Karen Walter as she comes. <laughs> yeah, that was risky. <laughs> Thank you, honey. That was really sweet. She's my only girl. I'm telling you what. I love that. God knew I needed at least one girl and three boys, but don't, don't be fooled. She's fierce. <laughs> she can hold her own. Hey, ladies, I'm so excited. We're jumping around a little bit out of order that we originally wanted to do. We had to make a little switcheroo in our original calendar, but we're just going to introduce and take our Wilderness Journey series part one this morning, and then in a couple of weeks, we'll do two and three. So I hope that's okay. But there were some scheduling issues. Once we got that bookmark printed, we said, that's it. We're just going to stick with it. So anyway, that's what we're going to do this morning. And so we're talking about the wilderness journey. What are the lessons from the Word of God that can be learned in the wilderness? And I realized, God started working this in my heart, there are many uh, experiences talked about in the Bible that occur in the wilderness. And we're going to probably talk about the most obvious one here this morning. Um, and I'm titling this message, From Slaves to Warriors. And we're going to be talking about the children of Israel who wandered in the desert, the wilderness, for how long? And guess what? It was an 11-day journey to the promised land. And yet they wandered for 40 years. All I can see is I'm going around and around and around, wearing a path in the wilderness. But what are the lessons that we can learn from that? So that's where we're going this morning. But um, I want to talk to you about a wilderness journey that I feel like I had been on and maybe have been on more than once. Years ago, and I'm not good at remembering years, not good at telling jokes or remembering years, but, thanks for laughing, but, <laughs> I don't know what it is, Amy, I don't know. <laughs> Lost my train of thought. Years ago, when we were still worshiping in the uh, res center, which is what I would call the old sanctuary, we had Joyce Meyer. Yes. Does anybody remember that? Yes. And I was like, Okay, world, do you realize what an honor this is that this woman is here? And it was just for an evening service from what I remember. And I'm front row. I'm front row. I'm not missing a word she's saying. And she began to describe something that she had been walking through, I think still walking through, and she called it a wilderness journey. 
And it really, something was happening in my heart as she talked because she described how it seemed as though she was on a path, but she couldn't hardly see even what the next step was. And all the things that she had relied upon to give her confidence, they were gone. It's like all the road signs, all the affirmations, all the girls, all the things that she always uh, relied on to say, I must be doing the right thing. They were gone. And she said, the only thing I had was listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I, it felt lonely, but I was not alone. But I was learning to walk one step at a time not being able to see down the road very far, not at all, but this is my faith step. God, I'm taking this step because I'm believing that this is where you want me to go. If you want me to turn around and do something else, I'll do that too. But I can't see very far down the road. You're not giving me a lot of information here to give me confidence. But I'm going to make a choice that my confidence is in you and you alone. And you're faithful, and you're good, and you are going to lead me, and you are going to guide me. But she said it was, it was like taking the training wheels off of a two-wheeler. It was time to ride without the training wheels. And it's just you and me, God. And that had to be enough. It had to be enough. All the outside things that she relied on before were gone. I sat on that front row, and I began to weep. I had not been able to describe in the same detail that she was describing that journey that I was on at that moment. And she read my mail. And I thought, what is wrong with me? God, how come, how come I can't always hear you? He says, I'm here. I got this. You're going to be okay. But for a while, that wasn't enough. No, I need more information. Give me a sign. Give me a road sign. Let me know that this is good. This is right. He says, no, we got this. You can hear my voice. One step at a time. You don't need to know the big picture. If I showed you the big picture, you'd probably turn around and run away. But every step, you will gain more confidence that you hear my voice. I'm a good shepherd. You're my sheep. You hear my voice. Now, the voice of a stranger, don't you dare follow, because I'm faithful to you. And I hadn't understood it until she started to describe it. And it wasn't a forever journey, <laughs> but there was a new intimacy, a new confidence in my God that came from that. It was like training wheels off. It's time to ride. Riding with the Holy Spirit in the lead. It reminds me of a time when my husband and I, we take a two-week sailing trip every year, and this was one of the earlier ones, when I say we were still dumb sailors, and we're still making mistakes and unwise decisions. And here we are in the middle of July, we're so excited, we've been preparing for weeks to go on this two-week sailing trip. And what we try to do is get as far north as we can. Sometimes we'll put in 10, 12, 14-hour days, and then we can take our time once we're up north and visit the different ports and whatever. So here we are chomping at the bit. Come on, we're finally done working. We got the boat loaded, gassed up, everything's ready to go. And this weird weather pattern comes in. And 
We had had a very cold summer. The water in the middle of July, I don't know, like five years ago, was still very, very cold in the middle of July. And now we were getting hot weather, and it was causing this dense fog to rise up from the water. You know, a lot of times fog descends. Well, this was rising up from the water, and it was just sitting there. And there were fog warnings in the middle of July for days coming prior to us, our, our, our departure date. So the day that we're going to leave, we couldn't leave. So we spent the night in the marinas. Oh, maybe tomorrow will be better. We waited all afternoon. And it seemed to clear a little bit, and we just got impatient and said, oh, we'll just go slow. We'll just get out there and stay close to shore. We'll be okay. We'll be able to see where we are, even if it gets a little foggier. Well, it had been so late in the day that at first it was okay. We could see the shoreline. And as long as you're staying away from shore, you're doing okay. We don't have radar on our boat. And so when we can't see where we're going, first of all, we can't see other boats. And other boats who have radar, they can't see us. So, yes, we are on the big lake, but... Collisions do happen. So here we are. We're going along. We'll just go slow. We're going to be fine. And before we know it, as the sun began to set, the fog became denser and denser. And we literally could not see even a boat length ahead of us. And so my, <laughs> my husband <laughs> sends me to sit on the bow of the boat with an air horn, you know, <laughs> one of those. And he says, if you see anything... Like a fishing boat, you know, right in front of us, just blow the horn. Well, that's a safe way to travel. Um, and so that was what we were left to. But here we are just motoring very, very slowly. And guess what? The shoreline disappeared. We could not tell, honestly, how fast we were going. We couldn't tell if we were traveling in circles. We could have been heading right into the shore and gone aground. We would not have known. You lose all perspective when you don't have any vision, visual signposts around you. And it reminded me of that time in my wilderness journey that I could not even see beyond one step at a time. But God says, Auga, I got this. <laughs> He's sitting on the bow of my ship, and he's, he's bringing me one step at a time in a safe place. We should never have left, <laughs> quite honestly. But it's kind of a fun story because that, that's what we, we decided. So we've made some mistakes, but they sure make great stories, right? So we're traveling along, and we knew two hours north we would be able to, we were hoping to get to White Lake Safe place, could drop anchor. At least we were two hours north. And, but we, did, we couldn't see it. We could not see it. If it were not for the GPS, we would not have known where we were. And like I said, we could, for all we knew, we could have been traveling in circles. So my husband had to keep his eyes on the GPS and trust it. It was the only thing that we could rely on. It was the GPS. Well... I'm sitting on the bow, and I begin to hear voices. I think, oh, no, now I'm hearing things. And then I see these flashes. I think, oh, my goodness, what are we coming up to? This large ship, you know, with lots of people. I, we couldn't see a thing. And my husband says, Bill says, uh, according to the GPS, we should be in the channel of White Lake. 
And I, I mean, it was like being in a complete, like, curtained-off uh, cubicle. We couldn't see anybody, but all of a sudden, we burst through, and it was like we burst through this curtain of fog into clear air, and it's getting kind of dark, but on the pier to our right, we heard this cheering, yay, they made it. <laughs> and there, there were 50 to 60 people on the pier, and they had seen this coming because our 50-foot mast was above the fog, blanket of fog, and they had gotten their cell phones out and their flashlights, and they're flashing us and bringing us in. And so they began cheering, and I just kept blowing hard, thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Had it not been for the GPS, we would not have known. We could have run right into that rock wall that they were all standing on. We would not have known. But we were able to trust the GPS. On your tables, you have a worksheet. We're going to do this a little bit differently this morning. Is that okay? We're going to do this Priscilla Shirer or Beth Moore style. I, I can call myself Priscilla Moore <laughs> or Beth Shirer. How's that? Because we're going to do a little fill-in-the-blank, and on the flip side, we'll be doing our table discussions. But let's go to fill-in-the-blank number one. Did you know that you have a spiritual GPS? When you're in the fog and you don't know where you're going, you're not sure because there's no signpost to give you confidence, you can rely on your spiritual GPS, and you can fill this in. It's God's perfect strategy. He's got a plan you can trust his plan. It's God's perfect strategy. That's your spiritual GPS. And are we relying on our spiritual GPS even when we can't see what, where we're going too far down the path? Or are we always relying on other people to give us our confidence? Or I just want a sign. God, give me a sign. When I wake up in the morning, have the birds singing my favorite song or something silly like that. No, you don't need a sign. You need to rely on your GPS, God's perfect strategy for you. Is God enough for us? Can we trust him in that? Does he love you enough that he's going to keep your feet on the path? Absolutely. Let's talk about Moses God raised him up. We're going to jump. We're going to do a little fast forwarding here. There are so many lessons. We could have spent 10 weeks on this. But I just want to go through a couple things that we can learn from the story that God raised up Moses to release the children of Israel who had been slaves in Egypt for 430 years. It was time to get up and get out and get free. And he raised up Moses to do it. And they went through a long process of convincing Pharaoh. They went through the plagues. There was all, uh, all kinds of, of uh, terrible things that happened to the Egyptians, but not to God's people. They were, they were spared from the plagues, every one of them. But finally, the one that broke the camel's back was the angel of death that came. And the firstborn of every Egyptian was, was uh, killed. And the death angel came unless they had painted the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. Do you know that your heart is painted in the blood of Jesus, who is the lamb of God? And that is our protection as well. We can live in that. You know, we can be talking about Old Testament stories, and I love Bible stories, but look for Jesus in every one of them. Because 
the whole Bible points to Jesus. And so here we are painting the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. And when we become a, a, a child of God, he paints his blood on the doorposts of your heart. And that's your protection. That's your life. And we can live in that. But God made a promise. He says, you are no longer slaves. You have been set free. And now we're in the wilderness. But I promise to give you a land, a land, a home, a place to belong. And it was the land of Canaan. And he called it the land flowing with milk and honey. And this is what God said to them. You know, God will never ask you to do something without giving you his word and his promise. And so before they even got started down the road very far, this is what he said. He says, I have heard the groaning of the children of Israel. And we're talking about Exodus 6, 2 through 8 here. I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians kept in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. This covenant to these slaves who are now set free, was first made to Abraham in Genesis, then confirmed to his son Isaac, and then to Isaac's son Jacob. And, and the promised land was still in covenant with God. And so he's reminding them, this is my covenant. I am the Lord. I will bring you out of, from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. It's almost like he says, take that. I'm signing my name to it. And you can take it to the bank and you can count on it. So here they are in the wilderness and all they have is a promise. Can't see it. Don't really know where we're going. But God said, he promised that he would do it. I will take you there. I already made a covenant and I'm not a covenant breaking God. I keep my word and I keep my covenant. So they had something to hang on to. It was a promise. But maybe the promise wasn't enough. Because you know what? They had been slaves so long. Generations of generations of generations of slavery. And I'm going to probably say this more than once. What we're going to find is you can take the slave out of Egypt, but you might not be able to get the Egypt out of the slave. They needed to be able to see God and to know their God in a completely different place. He had already rescued them from, um, from Pharaoh, and he did it through amazing miracles. They were demonstrations of his power. But we're going to find out they didn't really trust and know their God. And their slavery mentality held them back. So we're going to pick up this story again in Exodus 13. And God just showed up. He got them out there, and he, now he was showing them how he's going to take care of them. And in Exodus 14, we read, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud. How cool is that? He could say, I'm here, I'm here. But he showed up in a big way. He says, now you can see me. I'm going to always be with you. I'm not leaving. This pillar of cloud by day gave them shade from the hot sun in the wilderness. But it became a pillar of fire by night. It was always visible. The presence of God was always 
always, 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 always with them. Can I say, the presence of God is always, 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 always with you. And I know we don't have the cloud. Wouldn't you love a cloud? You want a cloud at your house? I do. And maybe you want that pillar of fire by night. But see, now God was not yet in them. This is pre-Jesus, pre-crucifixion, resurrection. But the resurrected Jesus is now that same pillar of cloud in our heart. He, he is there to lead us and to guide us day and night. And he's not leaving. Never, ever, ever, never. Got it? All right. So here we see a picture of Jesus. And he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And God begins to talk to Moses about his plan of, and strategy. <laughs> and Moses is an obedient leader. He is a strong leader. And he says, here's the plan. Tell the people to camp right next to the Red Sea. I'm going to go and harden Pharaoh's heart. And they're going to say, what have we done? We let all of our servants go. Now there's no one left to serve us. Let's go get them. And so Pharaoh's going to gather 600 chariots and more, the best chariots, all of his officers and a mighty army, and they're going to come after you. And you're going to be camped by the Red Sea. And that seems like a very stupid military mistake. Kind of like a Pearl Harbor experience where all of the major uh, uh, ships from the Navy fleet were gathered in one place, kind of like the, uh, making it very easy for the enemy. They realized what a military mistake that was after Pearl Harbor. Well, we kind of have a Pearl Harbor setup going on here. But God is in control. So he tells them, he said, oh, I got to find it. Moses says to the people, because here's what happened. People did it. They moved their camp. They're next to the sea. They look at the water and say, well, there's water behind us. And suddenly they see a great and mighty army coming. And they become frightened. I guess I would say, who wouldn't, right? And then they get mad at Moses and says, what have you done? You brought us out here to die. We'd rather die in Egypt. Huh? They'd rather be a slave? They're saying, take us back to Egypt so we can die there. We don't want to die in the wilderness. And they're shaking their fist at Moses. They're very, very angry. And they begin, there's mutiny in the camp. We're all going to die. And it's your fault, Moses, because by their physical eyes, they said, this is an impossible situation. Oh, that's slavery thinking. That's limiting God thinking. That's blaming, shaming thinking that comes with being a slave. Exodus 14, 13. Here's our great and mighty leader. I say, way to go, Mo. Moses told the people, fear not, stand still, be firm, confident, and undismayed, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians you have seen today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace and remain at rest. This is how I 
fight my battles, right? This is how I fight my battles. How do you fight your battles? Do you run? Are we scared when the enemy starts throwing accusations at you? You're never going to make it. You're going to fail. This is never going to change. You can't do this. You might as well quit. You might as well run and start terror. And he's saying, boo, 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 trying to see if you're going to react to it. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when you're fighting your battles? And it may look like you're surrounded, but what are we remembering? We're really surrounded by him. And thank you, Amy, for a beautiful message on that this morning. That our eyes would be open. Let's go to number two. Let's boil this down to three things that we need to do in the midst of our battle. When you see the enemy, you feel surrounded by the enemy. And it says, Moses said to the people, fear not. Number one. Number two, stand still. And the third one is, and see. Fear not. Stand still and see. When we feel the enemy closing in, remember to say, fear not. Stand still and see. Can you say that with me? Fear not. Stand still and see. One more time. Fear not. Stand still and see. Because you're going to see the salvation of the Lord. And I put something a little bit out of order here because we're going to go to <laughs> fill in the blank number four. Because fear will always try and come against you. But what is fear? And this is, this is a very, I think, a very good definition of what fear is. Fear... This is question number four. We'll come back and pick up three in a little bit. Fear is a prophet spirit sent to give you a negative report about the future so you will make a fear-based decision that God cannot and will not honor. Fear is a prophet spirit. There's demonic spirits out there. And you know what? Fear speaks. Fear has a voice. And if we listen to it, you might run far from what God has for you. But it's sent to give you a negative report about the future so you will make a fear-based decision that God cannot and will not be able to honor. But let's go to number five because here's the good news, okay? The Holy Spirit is a prophetic spirit sent to give you a positive report about the future so you will make a faith-based decision that God can and will honor. That's powerful, ladies. That's our heritage. We do not bow our knee to a spirit of fear. But you have to make that choice. But slavery thinking will allow fear to dictate. And we might be making bad decisions based on fear. And it's a slavery state of mind that begins to feel helpless and hopeless and powerless. And that like we're at the mercy of fear. You are not. You can take authority over any demonic spirit. Because all they have is a bunch of whispers and lies. And why would we believe a liar? And so how do we answer that? Let's go to number three. One of the most important things that I believe we can say when we're facing those 
fears and when we're facing the battle is number three. Remember these five words. The battle is the Lord's. The last thing that Moses told them was, and God will fight for you. God is in this battle, and you shall hold your peace, and you shall be at rest. Sometimes you have to tell yourself, you hold your peace, and you be at rest, mind. I'm not listening to that chaos going on. I'm not listening to that, what if this happens, and what if that doesn't, and how are you going to handle this? It says, I don't know, but I know my God, and he will fight for me, because the battle is the Lord's. And guess what? He wins every time. And that's why you can say, I'm more than a conqueror because I've got God fighting my battles. You are not helpless. You are not hopeless. You are not powerless without Jesus. Amen? See, it's not the trials that make us strong, but it's our responses to those trials. The devil wants us to respond by saying, where are you, God? Where are you? You're not hearing me. But God wants us to respond with faith without needing all the signposts around here and just get firm and confident in what he's saying to you because you know your God is good. He's not the liar. The devil's a liar and everything he tells you is the truth and that's the truth that truly sets you free. And so you can respond with faith because you know that you are deeply and dearly loved and God is good. He's not bad, he's not mad, and he's got you, even when you can't see what your next step is. So don't be afraid. If you're in a valley today, fear not, stand still, and see how God is going to save you. He came to our rescue, did he not? All the songs this morning supports what we're saying here, because it's truth. So... He prophesied, Moses actually prophesies to the Egyptians, I'm sorry, about the Egyptians, and says, these guys that you see here chasing after us, you're never going to see them again. You know what? God didn't say that to Moses. But Moses said that to the people by the Spirit of God. And he was absolutely right. So best story ever, right? Verse 15, we love this. Oh, I love this. Um, so God, uh, uh, Moses encourages people, stand still. Don't be afraid. And then God says in verse 15, what are you waiting for? Get going. He says, why are you standing around crying to me? Get going. And so this is what he told Moses to do. Lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. I wouldn't know what to do, but, you know, you know Moses is disobedient. He lifts up his rod. And I see the other hand. He's kind of going like this. And the, God caused a great wind to Cause the, the water to be walls at either side. I know there's lots of jokes about, you know, well, they, you know, science says that the Red Sea was like six inches deep. Well, it <laughs> comes a punchline, Amy. So what a great miracle it is that God drowned the whole Egyptian army in six inches of water. That's the joke. <laughs> You've heard that one before, right? But no, it was a mighty uh, a river that was that was divided, and it said that, the, that God, I love this, oh, his presence is so good. His presence is there to protect. Here is the um, cloud, excuse me. Here's the cloud moves behind the, the children of Israel, and now the Egyptians can't even see them. 
And they, he, it's like a fence, a guard. They can't even see what is going on. And the whole time, the escape route has been opened, and they go on dry ground through this, uh, the parting of the Red Sea. And once they were all across, it went on all night long. Now the cloud moved, and the Egyptian says, all right, we're going to go get them. And they got in the middle of that, the walls of water, and it says that God caused the wheels to fall off. And then he instructed Moses to put the rod down, move your hand back, and they were all covered in water and drowned. He completely, thoroughly defeated the enemies of the Israelites. He will thoroughly, has already through Jesus, completely and thoroughly defeated the enemy for us. Satan is a loser and a liar. <laughs> That's right. He's already lost. He was completely and thoroughly defeated by Jesus. What a miracle. What a God. So you think, wow, these people are starting to understand who their God is. But I can tell you time and time and time again, they got angry. They whined. They complained. We're thirsty. We're hungry. Why did you bring us out here to die? We'd rather go back and be slaves. At least we had food to eat. Well, then God rained down quails. He rained down um, bread from heaven, the manna. And you know what manna is? You think it's so spiritual? They called it manna because it literally means what? is it? They've never seen it before. But it was sweet. Aren't you glad God gives us sweet things? <laughs> I love sugar. <laughs> so, so he was taking care of them. And we have to fast forward because they, they actually uh, spent two years in the desert. They do a lot of things. They actually camped at Mount Sinai for a whole year. But lots of things happened there. You know, the golden calf, the, the Ten Commandments, and, you know, they had to learn about their God. And sometimes it wasn't too pleasant because they were very disobedient. And they worshiped a golden calf instead of the God who parted the Red Sea and who was with them day and night with a pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. And in the face of that, they worshiped an idol. Left to ourselves, we always seek something better than God. And there is nothing, no replacement for God. But here they are. Do you know, like I said earlier, the land of Canaan was only an 11-day journey. Now, they had millions of people, so I know what it takes to move people. You know, when we, when we ask people, you know, to, you know, line up here, we're going to feed you in the food line, we know we have to give everybody 10, 15 minutes to move, okay? That's just this group. Can you imagine moving millions of millions of people? So, of course, it's going to take time, but here they are. We're fast-forwarding to Deuteronomy 1, and they are standing at the border of the promised land. They can see it. They can almost touch it. But before they go in, Moses says to them, Behold, the Lord your God has set this land before you. Go up and possess it, said the Lord. As the Lord, the God of your fathers, has said to you, Fear not, neither be dismayed. So here's the promise. Was God faithful? Absolutely. He said he'd give it to them. He said he'd bring, bring them there. They're standing at the precipice looking into their promise. But they have to do something. They have to go in and possess it. But you know what they did? They held back. 
said, and God said this was a good idea too, though, because he said, go ahead and pick men, uh, a leader of every tribe. How many tribes were there? Twelve. So we have 12 men went to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good, right? You know, this tells a whole story. What did they see when they spied on Canaan? Ten were bad and two were good. Some saw giants big and tall. Some saw grapes and clusters fall. Some saw God was in it all. Ten were bad and two were good. You didn't sing with me. <laughs> that's the oldest Sunday school book there is. So the song there is. All right, so that's what they did. They sent 12 spies in, but they came back. And 10 of them were, oh, there's giants in the land. Oh, the food's good, but oh, you should see the people. They make us look like grasshoppers. And now we are grasshoppers in our own sight. They had big problems and a small God. But two men, Joshua and Caleb, said, oh, we are more than able to go in. Let's go. Let's go possess the land. And then I went, whoa, there's giants in the land. And there were, because actually the Anakim, or it's one of the, the races mentioned, and Goliath of Gath comes from that line of giants. So visually, their senses said, run! When the Egyptians were bearing down on them, they wanted to run, but they forgot how God was going to save them. And they didn't count their God faithful. And so this is the saddest, saddest thing I can think of, is that they did not choose to go in and possess the promise. Can I say to you, every one of us here have uh, precious promises from God. We have been given a promised land in the area of healing, your peace, your joy. Everything that you need has already been provided. It's a promise. God's good for his promise. But if you don't go in and possess it, you may just stand at the precipice looking into that promise and you will never get to enjoy it. And if you're afraid and we can't overcome fear by the spirit of God, because God has not given you a spirit of fear, that prophetic spirit that wants to give you a negative report, you can overcome it by the blood of the, of the lamb and the word of your testimony. You say, no. You can tell it, no. And go in Jesus' name. I'm going to stand on the promise of God. I know he's good. I've seen him work in my life. I'm going to remind myself of the goodness of God, that he is going to bring this into manifestation into my life because I'm going in and I'm possessing the land. Do you know they did not have to wander for 38 more years? They did not. They could have spent 38 more years in the promised land. But unfortunately, oh boy, I'm getting away from my, my list here, right? What, what uh, number are we on? Six. Good. We're right here. Here's the mistake. Number six, the mistake that these men made was that they looked at the giants and they looked at themselves, but they did not look at God. The mistake that these men made was they looked at the giants and they looked at themselves, but they did not look at God. And God had proven himself faithful, faithful, even after they were disobedient and didn't dare to trust God to go in and possess the land, and they wandered through the desert, God still took care of them. Do you know there was a rock that followed them around? 
And you know who that rock was? That rock was Jesus. Jesus was there in the wilderness with them and provided water. It's rock just showed up. Okay, that's our provision. The rock, and we could put our feet on the rock, can't we? And it's a rock that will not shift. You know what they did, though? Hebrews 10, 35 to 36 says, Do not therefore fling away your fearless confidence, for it has a glorious and great reward. For you have need of patient endurance to bear up under difficult circumstances without compromising, so that when you have carried out the will of God, you may receive and enjoy to the full what is promised. They flung away their confidence in God. They couldn't go in, and they didn't get to enjoy the promise. And God was not going to force them to do it. There's a cooperation needed here, ladies. And our part is to release faith and say, I don't care what I'm seeing. I don't care what I'm hearing. I don't care what it looks like. I'm trusting my God. My God is bigger. I might have big problems, but I got a big, big Big God. And he's not surprised at what we're going through. Nothing takes him by surprise. He's already covered it. But you better go in and possess it. You still have to go in and receive it. And that means releasing your faith. But here's the problem. Again. You know what they wanted to do? At this point they says, let's just go back to Egypt. Let's pick our own leaders. Secretly. Mutiny. Right? Again. Against Moses. And we're going back to Egypt. And at least we can live in a place, and be slaves again. What? God has not set you free to become slaves again. But that was their slavery mentality, and unfortunately, what followed was 38 years where each of them died because God needed to raise up a brand new generation, not of slave mentally thinking, not slavery bound in our minds and how we see God and how we see ourselves. But he raised up a generation of warriors. This, this generation had never been in slavery. They didn't know slavery, but they knew their God. And they saw the miracles. And they no longer were held back by their slave way of thinking. And the warrior thinking is this. God is a limitless God. He's good. He protects us. He's faithful. He doesn't lie. Everything that we need is always provided. He's bigger than me. He's bigger than my circumstances. He can speak to my husband. He can speak to my children. There's no problem that I have that I have to feel hopeless or helpless because he's bigger and he's my God and he loves me. And that makes me more than a conqueror. You are able to possess every promise, ladies, here this morning. And if we can show that picture before we're done here, this is who you are. You are a warrior princess. Amen? I think she's gorgeous. She's feminine, but oh, she's fierce. Somebody came to me recently, this cute teenager. She says, she says Pastor Karen, you're fierce. I said, ooh, that is the best compliment I've ever received, especially right now. You better watch out. <laughs> Because you know what that sword is? It's wielding the word of God. It's believing the word of God. And you can be, you can be feminine and fierce. You know, I, I got the fake nails. I'm a lipstickaholic. But read my lipstick. God is for you. He's not against you. The devil's a liar. You can do this 
by lifting your sword, walking it out, cross your Red Sea. Know that God is here to rescue, to save. Fear not. Stand still and see the salvation of God. He loves you that much. So be fierce, ladies. You can be feminine. You can be fierce. Hey, and you are impact women in this kingdom because of it. Amen? So, slavery thinking says, oh, this looks impossible. But warrior thinking is, nothing is too hard for my God. Slavery thinking says, I'm so defeated. I'm just a failure. I always fail. And warrior thinking says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Slavery is, thinking is a victim. Too many things have happened to me. I'm just broken. God can never use me. Warrior thinking is, God, you have recreated me. I am brand new. The old has passed away. I'm moving on. I'm moving forward. My eyes are on you. And no matter what happens here, when you remove all the signposts in my life, my confidence is still in you because you are faithful. Ladies, he's so faithful. He's got you. Some of you are going through some really stinky stuff. He's got you. He's got you. I know you can't see very far ahead in your life, but he's giving you, let him give you a positive report of how he's going to bless you. Even when things are being stolen from you, he will restore. He will heal. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Because God's going to make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. If he needs to part the Red Sea for you, he will do that. Will you take that? Will you receive that? So don't stay stuck in slavery thinking, blaming, angry, being a victim, being helpless and hopeless. No. You are mighty warriors because we have the warrior himself fighting our battles for us. Amen? All right, last verse. This is so cool. This, and I probably share this like 10 times a year <laughs> because this is my life verse. But I want you to see what God says he's doing for you. One day I was reading in Habakkuk. That sounds real spiritual, doesn't it? I kind of stumbled on this. Habakkuk 3.19 says this, and you're going to fill in the blank like this. The Lord God is my strength. This is real easy, ladies. My personal bravery and my invincible army. Who's fighting for you? God is fighting our battles. He's invincible. He always wins. Therefore, that's why you are more than a conqueror. He makes my feet like hind's feet and will make me to walk, not to stand still in terror. Oh, uh, mm -mm. I'm not giving in to that spirit of fear. Uh-uh. I see my promised land and I'm going in because, God, you are fighting my battles for me. He says, you will make me to walk, not to stand still in terror, but to walk and make spiritual progress upon my high places of trouble, suffering, or responsibility. Can you own that? He says, 
God, you are my strength. I see you help everybody else, but I don't know if you can help me. Uh-uh. He's my, make it personal. He's my strength. And when I'm scared, he's my bravery. Isn't that cool? He's, he makes you brave to face the most difficult of circumstances. And he is fighting for you. And sometimes we feel like when we're in the middle of this battle, that we're going backwards. Oh, why is this happening to me? Why does this always happen to me? Okay, slavery thinking. Ah. Switch over to warrior girl. Warrior princess girl says, God, I'm going to make spiritual progress. Devil, you are going to be so sorry you messed with me. Because I'm making spiritual progress, even though you think you're throwing all these fiery arrows at me. Uh-uh. I got my shield of faith up. I got my helmet of salvation. It keeps my mind clear. Keeps my mind focused in the right place. I got my breastplate of righteousness. You can't even, you can't touch this. It protects my heart. I know who I am. God called me righteous. Not because I'm so good, but because he's so good. And you can't lie to me because I've got a belt of truth around my waist. And I can spot a lie a mile off. And boy, I'm going. I'm walking in my places of trouble and difficulties. Because I've got my gospel shoes on. And nothing can stop me now. Are you fierce? 